0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bootstrap Founder Podcast. My name is Avid Kahl, and I talk about bootstrapping, entrepreneurship, and building in public. This episode is called Why Founders End Up Unemployable. And first, a word from our sponsor. My Acquire is the number one startup acquisition marketplace, and it is simply the most efficient and free option to sell a startup when you're ready to make your next move. And as a founder, you may be juggling multiple projects and startup ideas at once, And sometimes, founders put their focus on purpose, and other times, they just don't know what to do with the new projects that gain some traction, but can't dedicate more time to grow. And this is the case, or was the case, with Brian Kaisal, who didn't realize there were so many buyers out there interested in buying all his different startups, regardless of the size of them. And Brian is on the more extreme scenario, but he ended up selling a total of five startups in a six month period, in a booth to just consolidate his focus. And Brian credits MicroAcquire as a leading driver for success on all but one of the exits and recommends the platform due to the ease to attract a lot of quality buyers, all while being completely free for founders. And for reference, Brian sold his first startup in 2015 where he used a traditional broker. And although it was a good experience, at least that's what he, he feels, he mentioned that it came with a heavier price tag that could impact the outcome, especially for businesses that are expecting to exit for less than six figures, like his most recent five exits. And in the end, Brian is now focused on his only SaaS business, and that's ZipMessage, which I highly recommend to check out, by the way, because I've been using it, where he's hoping to take it to the next level. So. If you've got a few projects that you've started, but want to regain your focus on just one or two, take advice from someone like Brian, who sold so many in a short amount of time and check out MicroAcquire. It's completely free for founders, and who doesn't love free, particularly if you're a solo founder, solopreneur, we'll talk about that later, and you may be surprised at the outcome. So go to microacquire.com to get started. And now we'll get started here. In most entrepreneurs' lives, and I'm talking from my own experience here, there comes a point where we jokingly claim to be unemployable. And it usually happens in the middle of a conversation about the benefits and drawbacks of having a boss or having a job. And after setting out on our first self-directed business journey, many founders, we really have this hard time imagining ourselves back on the clock as an employee. Founders like that feel like they can't handle the restrictions of a regular job anymore. And I feel very much the same way. Building my own businesses has liberated me, for better or worse, from several ideas and conceptions that I believe to be true in the past. And most of it has to do with how we work, what we should work on, and how we organize ourselves. And I'm not alone in that. Many indie hackers find that after building a business, they have a very different perspective on how they want to spend their working hours or generally their lives. Why is that? Why does the reality of a lived entrepreneurial experience clash so much with our expectations? I think it starts with our educational upbringing. I vividly remember a day in my ninth grade English class. And for reference, I'm German, so English was a second language for me. We were given the assignment to write a story, a page or two, just to really flex our muscles in terms of building a narrative, just writing something coherent, doing something interesting. In what I recall to be an extremely enjoyable flow state, that afternoon at home, doing my homework, I penned a 20-page narrative with multiple characters and a whole plot arc. It was a lot of fun. It may be one of the first things that I ever wrote that really meant something to me. And I did it in a second language. I did way more than I should have, and I really enjoyed it. Now, it probably won't surprise you that instead of being praised for creating something that could be rightfully considered a piece of written art, I got reprimanded for not following the structural expectations of the task. The story that was a deep and honest expression of myself received a failing grade. Overdelivering was punished and severely so. School teaches us that compliance with someone else's expectations is desirable. At the same time, We are asked, and through grades, forced to suppress our creative impulses. We are told that overstepping the formal boundaries of a task is failing the task itself. The fact that teachers have the power to dish out punitive grades at any point creates a power dynamic where we are expected to submit to external pressures and absorb them into our self-imposed limitations. A good student is a student that has trained themselves to stay in their lane. And this compliance may have been helpful in the world of factories, where the safety of everybody involved required workers that would blindly follow orders and regulations. But the knowledge economy, now that needs a very different mindset. And most indie hackers operate solidly on this digital side of the knowledge economy, and they struggle to break the bonds of self-imposed creativity suppression, really. Now let's get one thing straight. Teaching dozens of students simultaneously. Now, that just needs a formal requirement to avoid chaos and a lack of measurable results. But what are we really measuring in school? What do grades convey and who is looking at them? And this is where compliance moves beyond the educational system. Because it's not just parents and teachers who care about grades. For some reason, that escapes me, truly, employers to this day are interested in seeing the school grades that I received several decades ago. And in a way, that's not surprising because systems change slowly. Even modern corporate businesses don't operate in a vacuum. Their internal processes, they are the result of many decades of managerial and operational experience of the people who run the business. It's not that strange to think that someone who has been working in HR for 30 years would apply some of the standards, some of the experience that they know that was working back in the day to their work today. And this delayed awareness of a paradigm shift in recruiting employees leads to a stunning perversion of an otherwise useful process. That's an example that I often give in, in this kind of situation. The illustrious whiteboard lead code interview. The regularly software engineers are asked to solve previously solved problems, things that everybody knows how to solve, without a computer, in front of interviewers, on a whiteboard. The fact that this is common practice blows my mind. The reality of most software jobs is that when you need a particular algorithm or some kind of function, you look it up. You find a peer-reviewed, often open-source implementation on Stack Overflow or just on GitHub where you search for it and you integrate it into your work. That's how it works in reality. So why on earth would you have to come up with such an algorithm, which can often be the result of many, many attempts of optimizing it without a computer or the hive mind that we tap into when we code in an interview setting? Well, this is about compliance as well. It really goes like, if you really want this job, how far will you go? Will you learn all these easily looked up problems and their reference implementations, you won't need them for the job, but you will need them to show your submission to our process. And most employees are fine with this because after all, they gain a safe and long-term job after jumping through all these hoops and often. These problems are interesting for a technical-minded person in the first place because removing duplicates from a data set or calculating the number of permutations of a string, now that can be fascinating research projects for a coder. I certainly enjoy figuring this out, but having to cram, having to learn all these things for an interview? I don't know. That doesn't seem to have much to do with problem-solving capacity, just with recollection. And that's what entrepreneurs really need. Unbounded explosive problem solving capacity, thinking out of the box, intersectional application of knowledge in unexpected and novel ways. That's what we need. We won't be able to run a business on lead code interview compatible techniques, we need to learn how to listen to our prospects, understanding their pains and challenges and build a solution to their most critical problems and implement it in a way that is both quickly prototyped and usable by non-technical folks. Now, those are the problems we face. So in short, to be a founder, you need to unlearn all the limitations you were trained and ended up training yourself in from school and other educational systems and being unemployable starts exactly here. It's not just that you expand your capacity or skills. You start understanding that you can do much more than anyone ever asked of you. Because no one is asking anything of you anymore. When you're self-employed, you become autonomous. You don't have a boss. You are your own boss. And if there's anything your boss needs to be done, well, you need it to be done. It's up to you to define and execute it. There are no more formal requirements for you to hold on to. If you can imagine it, you will work on making it happen. And a quick word about autonomy here, just for definition's sake. Just because you don't have an external boss doesn't mean you don't need to make hard decisions anymore. This isn't anarchy. You'll still be under the rule of someone, even if it's yourself. But... The choices are now yours and you are the one to set the goals and the processes as well. And that's the unemployability seed. You start understanding that as a founder, there's nothing you wouldn't explore if it promised an improvement for your business. No one would hold you back or remind you of a hierarchy that you signed up for. There are downsides to this. Of course, if you are lazy or I call it motivationally challenged at least that's what I prefer to call it, you will have a lazy and unreliable boss. You're left with the task of motivating yourself to be motivated. And that's a very bootstrappy thing. It's logically impossible if you're not motivated to be motivated, right? But you'll find methods to keep yourself motivated and accountable. I personally find external expectations to be very helpful because every week I have to write an article. As my readers, my listeners, and my viewers since I'm now on YouTube as well, I guess viewers count on that as well, they expect it to appear in their feeds. So that keeps me going. That keeps me accountable and motivated because I know somebody out there wants to see what I'm doing. And most founders do exactly that. They just keep going. And to their surprise, they also keep growing. Sometimes slowly and occasionally quite fast, they learn, they improve, and they build something that matters. And there comes a time in every entrepreneur's life When they look back on their journey and get to see that it was their own work, their grit and tenacity that got them where they are today. This observation leaves us founders with an indestructible level of self-respect. We did this ourselves. And that's why it's so incredibly hard ever to consider even taking up employment again. For me, I'm talking about myself, but I see it in a lot of founders too. We know our potentials. We know how adaptable we can be. As a wielder of all the roles, we have trouble considering limiting ourselves to run role again. We have learned that we are just so much more than a cog in the machine. We have become linchpins in our own businesses because without us, things fall apart. We're indispensable. This severely limits the lure of a stable job in a position where we can be easily replaced, like most jobs are. Otherwise, how else would they advertise for the job if they couldn't have multiple people do it? So this also affects the way we negotiate for ourselves now at this point. When we do consider taking up a job, and no matter if that's a post-exit job because we want to explore other fields or because our project failed and we have to go back to an employment situation, we remember the freedom that our autonomy gave us. We know that we're more than just our job title. The life we had a glimpse into was one of balancing many things, the business, the family, the vision, and our life as a whole. When we negotiate about vacation time, for example. We don't do this out of disrespect for a potential employer. We do it out of respect for ourselves. And this respect is often a painful consequence of going at it alone. It's a consequence of the unlearning we had to do to become proficient at more than self-imposed compliance. Now, I have the utmost respect for anyone who chooses to be an employee. There are no silver bullets and we have all, we all have aspirations and situations that lead us down one path or another. I personally have lived all these lives. I've been an employee. I've been a freelancer, an employer even, and an unemployed worker. <laughs> I've been all of this. And you can find purpose and fulfillment in all of these, but you'll have trouble changing back to any of these from being a founder. At the same time, our prospective employers may have difficulty understanding why you are so different from their other candidates. Your willingness to negotiate for yourself in a system that expects submission, now that would just stand out and it will signal something to your employer that you might not even intend to signal. From their point of view, you are unreasonably selfish. Well, for you, it's just maintaining your status quo. You just want to keep the things that you already accomplished. And for me, it's always been problematic, even to imagine returning to the office power dynamics as I just describe them. I know it's quite a privileged thing to say because as a founder, I hold all the power in my business and giving some of it up for a paycheck seems to be a fair trade if you think about it. But there is so much more to that. My self-perception at this point is linked to my capacity to live autonomously. It's this level of accomplishment that I reached and I don't want to get back under this level. I don't want to get back into a situation where somebody else has power over me. And to make my own choices about anything related to what I'm working on, that's what I want to do. I am living the indie hacker lifestyle. And of course, this all changes once we start building a team, once we have a, once we grow our company and where role diversification kicks in, and then we focus on our strength as a founder and we hand over the work we don't enjoy to people who do. But that's not the indie hacking that I'm talking about here. The unemployability problem mainly affects solopreneurs. And indie hackers are forced into learning all the skills needed to run a business. They just become jack-of-all-trades. And with an increasing scope of skills, the specialists turn into generalists. And generalists are not sought after by employers, particularly not in the lower rungs of the corporate ladder. Solopreneurs end up being overqualified in the most confusing sense. They have too much interdisciplinary knowledge to fit into well-defined roles. Although they would excel in those roles because they could bring in all that knowledge, the description is set and they don't fit. It feels strange to think that in the eyes of an employer, one would have to apologize for having opened up your mind and learned all these incredibly powerful and valuable entrepreneurial skills. But that's the reality. There's a podcast out there. It's called The Solopreneur Hour by Michael O'Neill. And I really enjoyed the show. I've been listening to it for years at this point. And it runs with the tagline unabashedly, unapologetically, Proudly unemployable. Most solopreneurs end up feeling this way about themselves. And I think that's perfectly fine. And that's it for today. Thank you for listening to the Bootser Founder Podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Avidkal, A-R-V-I-D-K-A-H-L. You'll find my book, Zero to Sold, and the Embedded Entrepreneur, and my Twitter course find your following there as well. If you want to support me and the Bootser Founder Podcast, Please leave a rating and a review by going to ratethispodcast.com slash founder. Thank you very much for listening and have a wonderful day. Bye bye.